uh, stated uh, in 2008, he said, it's a strange thing that the book has never been so accessible, meaning the Bible. <laughs> According to the Guinness Book of World Records, A. Ron Hubbard's writings on Scientology have been translated into 65 languages. The Quran has been, uh, is supposed to be read in Arabic, so it hasn't been translated as much. The Book of Mormon is in about 100 languages, but 2,656 languages have all or some of the Bible. Some 65 million copies of the Bible are brought or distributed in the U.S. every year. Nothing else is a close second. The average house has at least three. People cheer the Bible, but they buy the Bible, they give the Bible, they own the Bible, they just don't actually read the Bible. According to George Gallup, one-third of those surveyed knows who delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Fewer than half can name the first book of the Bible. 80% of born-again Christians believe... Now listen, listen. 80% of born-again Christians believe the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible. You know where it came from? Benjamin Franklin, if you're curious. So I'm thinking a lot these days about how to help the people that God brings my way to know and love the book. Today we start a new series, seven weeks of what we believe. And we're going to be looking at today the Bible. What do we believe about the Bible? And throughout this series, we'll be looking at several different things that like communion and salvation. We're going to look at stewardship and a few others. What do we believe as Christians about these things? Because it truly matters. Another study was done about the, the, uh, the, the, the prodigal son. And overwhelmingly, people thought the story of the prodigal son was an actual historical event. But if you read the Bible, it's not. It's a parable Jesus shares. It's a story to teach a lesson. There's a lot of things in the Bible that we look at and we say, well, see, the Bible says it, so we must... We must, it must be true. There's a lot of things that the Bible says that we take out of context. Like the verse that says, Philippians is at 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We use that verse and we abuse it terribly. Because it's not a verse that says that you can do anything you want through Christ. It's a verse that is about struggle and suffering. That you can make it through those things because Christ strengthens you. We have people that say that God never gives you more than you can handle. That is false. God provides a way out of things. You will be given more than you can handle. Why? Because it brings you to the feet of Jesus where it should. There's a lot about the Bible that we need to understand. And not just understand, we need to obey. Obedience is the mark of a Christian. When you can obey God's word, it speaks to who you follow. 
We have a lot of people who claim Jesus and who, love, who claim to love Jesus, yet their lives look far from Christ because it's disobedience. So my question to them is, are you really saved? If you can't live obedient to God's word, is there really salvation then? You see, as we look at the Bible, we are looking at something that is by far the most important book in all of history. By far. For thousands of years, this thing has been attacked. In fact, the, the latest attack is scientists are saying Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by asteroids, not by God. It's another attack on Scripture. Church, we have to take a stand. We have to take a stand on God's word. So my challenge to you is if, if you're here this morning or if you're listening or watching this morning and you don't believe that the Bible is God's word, if you don't believe that the Bible is his holy and untethered un, uh, word, that, his, that this book is our direction and our guidance and our authority, then you are in the wrong church. This are the words, these are the words of God. And these are the words that we follow, that we believe, that we practice, that we often fail at upholding. But we come to repentance, that God would restore us because his words are truth. We must determine in ourselves of what we believe about the Bible. And I think it's pretty easy. You either believe it or you don't. You either believe it or you don't. I pray today that you can conclude that within this book are the very words of a holy God. And that this book is the authority that we as Christ followers live by. Let's pray. God, I ask that you guide us through your word today. That you would teach us, Father, not just to hear these words and agree with these words, but to be obedient to these words. God, and it doesn't matter what we look like, what we sound like what color we are. All that matters is our surrender to who you are. Help us, God, to be obedient to your word, to love others as you've commanded, to live this life with the hope of the next and to bring others alongside us. We thank you and we love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12. This is our first passage. We have two passages this morning. It's up on the screen as well. But in the book of Hebrews, we have what I think is, is a, a very good description here of what God's word does 
For the word of God is living and active. I want you to pay special attention to that. It's living and it's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That is a powerful statement about God's word. It is living and active. That means these words are not dead. These words still are as true today as they were thousands of years ago. That these words still guide, these words still bring us to a place of decision for salvation in Jesus Christ. These words. And you can argue with me, Dan, it's got to be the King James only. No, it does not. I'll say that very boldly. I have a lot of experience with biblical languages, and I can tell you, it is not the most trustworthy. The word of God, God's word will pierce your heart, whatever translation you're reading within Christianity. Don't read the Jehovah's Witnesses version. Don't read the Mormon version. Not the same at all. Just throwing that little tidbit in there. But God's word is living and active. And it divides us. It divides us because you either have to go on the side of truth or not. You either believe it or you don't. You can't say, well, I believe some things in it, but others I don't. That's called buffet Christianity, and that is not Christianity at all. You either believe God's word or you don't. Those are your choices. Our second passage this morning comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. So we know that the, living, the word of God is living and active. So what is it useful for? Verses 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. He is the author. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How are we supposed to be the Christians we're supposed to be? It's God's word. It's God's word. It's used to correct us. You've heard me say many times that if you believe something and the Bible says something opposite, guess who wins? The Bible every time. You lose. What the Bible says goes. No matter what you feel, Often tell people, take a tums, you'll get over it. The feeling will go away. God's truth wins every time. It's profitable for teaching. How do we know how to be? Right here. It's not the words of a man standing on stage spouting opinions or feel-good stuff. It means we're going to hear hard things in Scripture that are going to challenge us in what we believe here on, on this world. And guess what? Every time, guess what wins? The Bible. So therefore, we must change our lives to go with what Scripture says. Used for training in righteousness. How do we know how to be righteous? Right here. And who makes us righteous? None but God. We are made righteous by Jesus Christ. And we're trained in righteous by his word. 
So the Bible, if you haven't noticed, I place in a pretty high priority in my life. Without it, we have nothing. We don't know. We don't know how to be. Because in our, left up to our own devices, left up to our own decisions and mindset, we wouldn't live by this. We're not naturally bent towards morality. In fact, the Bible is pretty clear that when we, when we are without Jesus, we're lost. We're wretched. Jesus makes us righteous and trains us in that righteousness through his word. So, when talking about the Bible, it's important to understand the uniqueness of the Bible. And I'm going I'm to go over some stuff that makes the Bible unique. So here's some Bible facts, okay? This is about the books of the Bible. The Old Testament has 17 historical books, and it's not this, not this screen, Sammy, but that's okay. You can keep it up there if you want. Has 17 historical books, five poetical books, and 17 prophetic books in it. This is the Old Testament. That's a total of 39. There's 39 books of the Old Testament. The Catholic Bible has more, but we don't recognize the Catholic Bible as the Word of God. The extra books it has is called the Apocrypha. Can you learn from them? Everybody shake your head yes, because they're historical books you can learn from. But as you see on the screen, those are the three indicators of what, why we have the books we do have. These are the three reasons, and we'll get to those in a moment. The Apocrypha didn't meet those, okay? 17 historical books are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Those, I know that was fast, those are the historical books, okay? Those tell the story of Israel. Those tell the, the triumphs and the, and the many, many, many defeats. And when I say defeats, read the book of Judges and you'll understand. Not necessarily defeat militarily, but defeat in their following of God. The five poetical books are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Quit pop quiz for you. What's the oldest book in the Old Testament? Job. It's Job. What we see in the scriptures is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. That's not chronological order of, of the Old Testament. That's just the way we put it. Okay? So Job is the, old, or the oldest Old Testament book. The 17 prophetic books are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. That's the Old Testament. Now the New Testament has four Gospels, Acts. Acts is separate because it's the Acts of the Church. This is the founding of the, of the first church, the first century church, okay? And what the church looked like. At the beginning, 21 epistles and revelation, 27 New Testament books, no more, 27. The gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The 21 epistles are Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd and Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. There are how many books of the Bible? 66. Again, the Catholic Bible, give or take 16, 17 books. 
But this is the Holy Bible, 66 books. Here's some other facts, miscellaneous stuff. The Bible contains 1,189 chapters. A lot of chapters. The Old Testament has 929 chapters, and the New Testament has 260 chapters. The longest chapter in the Bible is what? Psalm 119. Psalm 119. The shortest is what? Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter. Now, the longest verse in the Bible is Esther 8-9. And the shortest verse of the Bible is what? Jesus wept. And that's John 11:35. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year span from 1400 B.C. to A.D. 100. Over 40 generations. Over 40 authors from many walks of life. We have kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars. Written in different places like the wilderness, dungeons, palaces. At different times, during war, during peace. In different moods with heights of joy and depths of despair. On three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Even with all that diversity, it fits together perfectly. Maybe you've heard this phrase, Dan, there's contradictions in the Bible. No, there is not. Not one. If you read the Bible in context, you will not find a contradiction. Forty different authors over 40 generations from different walks of life, the only way that can happen is if they are God-inspired words. This is our Bible. So when we're talking about the Bible here at Rosebud Christian Church, we are talking about something that we hold in high esteem. These are God's words. Now, although there are many who wrote the Bible... There's only one author, one perfecter, and that's God. God wrote it through his people that he inspired by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he showed up and talked to them. That would be cool, right? Sometimes he sends an angel to tell them what to say, but always, always inspired by God Almighty. If it didn't meet that inspiration, it didn't get included. The term that we use for the Bible is called canon. Okay, not the boom cannon, but a different type of cannon. Let me explain. It comes from the Greek word that meant straight rod or ruler. So this is our ruler, if you will. This is what we measure life by. This is what our obedience is measured by, is God's word. It developed a metaphorical uh, connotation used by the early church fathers to refer to the norm of church doctrine like the rule of faith. Or the rule of truth. This canon is what the early church fathers found to be inspired scriptures. And so here's how they did it. Here's how they put the scriptures together. Okay? What you have on the screen, there are three criteria that must have been met. Number one, the apostolic authority that reflects either apostolic authorship or influence. So the New Testament writers, many of them were apostles. Or they were directly connected to apostles. Okay? Number two, antiquity and orthodoxy that indicate content-based 
on an apostolic foundation. So they had to be historically accurate. They had to be uh, already accepted as the orthodox teaching when the Bible was first came together. We, we like to think of the New Testament as when they're writing it, the whole New Testament's there. It's not. What scriptures are the New Testament writers referring to? It's the Old Testament. That's why you can't disregard the Old Testament as New Testament Christians. We have to have it. Because that's what the New Testament Christians in the first century studied. So it's important that we have it. Number three, there must be a universal recognition and use in the church. So if one church said, eh, we don't really use that book. And then another one comes up, eh, we don't use that book either. It didn't make it. It had to be universally recognized by all the churches that this is the book we use. This is a, a letter we use. This is what Paul said. We do not have any original writings. You need to understand that. We have copies of those. Some really early copies and then some late copies that are early, like copies of copies of copies, right? But yet God's word remains true. Some early church leaders saw inspiration by the Holy Spirit as also a test of uh, uh, being a part of the canon. So as we consider our passage that we looked at, the passages that we looked at this morning, we need to understand why we believe the Bible is our authority. It's important that we understand why. Not that, okay, I just accept it's my authority, but why? So we believe the Bible is inspired word of God and our authority for many reasons, but here are a couple. The first is these words expose us. These words expose us. God's word will expose your sin, and it should. Because if you're not living according to God's word, it's going to be very evident as you read it. As our passage in Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and active. This is part of it being living and active. These words expose us in a way that brings change to our lives. It exposes our weaknesses that we may understand what it means to live in the light. What other book does this? There's no other book that does this. The Mormons will tell you if you read the Book of Mormon and you get this, this, this warm feeling in your bosom, then it's truth. Again, I respond with take a Tums. You'll get over it. I read lots of books. Anybody ever read uh, uh, Where the Red Fern Grows? Did you feel warm and fuzzy in that and emotional at some times? Absolutely. I cried like a baby at the end of that book. I'm not going to ruin it if you haven't read it. Doesn't make it true, does it? Because our faith is not based on feeling. See, in our culture, we let feeling produce truth. And we should not. Truth needs to produce in us feeling and emotion. Not the other way around. We respond to God's word with emotion because it's truth. We don't go into God's word feeling emotional and try to find truth. That's not how that works. But yet our culture is really good about trying to do that. It's living because Christ lives. The word of God is living because Jesus lives. We don't serve a dead God. Our God is alive. It's active because it changes who we are. The word of God has the ability to cut the heart 
It has the ability to cut the heart of the sinner and bring conviction to our life. There's many times that in my career as a pastor and just as a Christian in, in the last 25, 26 years that I've, I've been reading the Bible and I've just wept because of my own conviction of my sin. That's what the Bible does. If you don't study the Bible, you'll never experience that. But if you study God's word, you'll understand very quickly of just how much you need the grace of Jesus Christ. It allows the sinner to see where they fall short. The Bible is the mirror to our soul. It allows us to see the need for redemption in a way that no other book throughout history could ever do. It has the power to penetrate and expose the heart of the man. It's a critic to our lives. We need this. We need this criticism from the word of God in our lives. That's how we develop and change. That's how God disciplines us. And it brings hope when all seems lost. There is no greater freedom than when a person who is lost finds life through God's word. It's beautiful. Lastly, these words equip us. They equip us. We trust doctors, right? Most of us. We trust doctors. We go to the doctor. Why? Because they're equipped for the job. You wouldn't go to a doctor who's, who calls himself doctor, but he's a doctor of philosophy. And you go there and you sit and you say, okay, what's wrong with me, doc? What's this growth on my arm? Why? Because he has no medical training. Here in, here in the next 18 months to two years, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be called Dr. Dan Doherty. After my dissertation is done. But don't come to me with medical advice or medical needs. That's not the kind of doctor I'll be. We trust the doctor because of his training. We trust the mechanic because they're equipped for their job. The scriptures likewise equip the believer for the life that God has called them to. Yeah, we have a lot of Christians who walk around spouting stuff off that is not biblical. So therefore, you need to know your word so that you can refute those who are trying to abuse it or tell you lies. Can you, can you spot a false teacher? You should be able to. Can you spot a false gospel? You should be able to, Christian. But oftentimes, we just listen to people teach it, and we say, oh, they're, they're trained, so I'll, I'll just trust them. You need to know as well. This isn't like going to the doctor or the mechanic. Because people abuse this. People look at it as a way to manipulate others. To gain money, to whatever, you, you name it. Kenneth Copeland and his jets that he wants to go take the gospel around the world and he needs $14 million because he needs a new jet. By the way, if you listen to Kenneth Copeland, shame on you. It's a joke and truth. But you have to understand something. God's word wins every time. And if you don't know it, if you don't know it, I promise you, you will be led around in lies. You have to know the truth. This is why you hear me say often, don't just listen to me, write the passages down, 
can study it for yourself. You need to know. In our passage in 2 Timothy, we find that all Scripture is profitable. It benefits us. It equips us. It makes us stronger. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite commentators, said it this way. He said, they are profitable for doctrine, what is right, for reproof, what is not right, for correction, how to get right, and for instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. A Christian who studies the Bible and applies what he learns will grow in holiness and avoid many pitfalls in this world. You know fellow believers who are not Bible studiers very quickly because their lives display that. They display disobedience. They display immaturity. We need to be equipped. These words help us become the people God desires for us to be. It doesn't happen naturally. We don't come to Jesus and say, okay, I'm good to go. I'm going to be holy now. I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to just walk this world and, and tell everybody. No, that's not how that works. You've got to study. You've got to be transformed. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. You've got to understand that our spiritual act of worship is to be uh, transform or is to be surrendered to Jesus, and that's what, what Paul says when he writes in uh, Romans chapter 12. He says, Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. He says, This is your spiritual act of worship. Then he goes on in verse 2 and says, But do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? God's word. Not man's word, not preachers on the radio, not preachers at your church. It's God's word by your study. Now, God uses preachers. He uses Bible teachers to help you understand, but it is your responsibility to pick up the Bible and read it. It's your responsibility. Are you doing that? Does your life display that? Or do we continue to share things on Facebook that, are, that we say are biblical but are not? Or do we, do we continue to chastise people for their lifestyles when, when God clearly says that, that we need to stand on truth in love? Do you read the Bible? By studying it, obeying it, and allowing it to control our lives, we will become the people of God that we need to become. And while others, other churches are exploding in growth, oftentimes because they forsake some doctrines, because they want to appeal to people, I choose the Bible. And God will cause growth in his time. The scriptures are that important. These words will help in all aspects of your life. The Bible is to be revered. It is to be applied. 
And we must take these words and begin to allow them to direct our life to change us. So if you want to know God's will for your life, kids especially, you can ask your parents. A lot of times parents will tell you what they want you to be. Or you can go to God. You can study his word. And you can seek his direction. Adults, the same thing. A lot of us are just big kids trying to find our way in life. What does the scripture say? Obey them. Live them. He speaks to you through his word. And he speaks to you through other godly people that are in his word. So if you're trying to, if you're trying to find biblical advice from somebody who's not in the Bible, you're going to be in circles the whole time. Find someone who knows the word and who lives the word. This book of promises from God will come to fruition in this world, whether you believe it or not. This is going to happen. So whether you believe it or not, what you read in these words, what Revelation says at the very end, we win. They're going to happen. So get on board with the truth. What do you believe about the Bible? Is it true? Is it true? Has it changed your life? In this church, the Bible is truth. It is truth. In my life, the Bible is truth. So I challenge you this morning to make a decision about this book. But in order to make a decision about this book, if you don't know Jesus, that's your first step. You have to come to him first. The author and perfecter of it all. If you believe it just be another book, then so be it. Like I said at the beginning, you're in the wrong church. But if you believe this book to be the very words of God, then I challenge you to allow them to change you and to mold you into the masterpiece that God desires for you to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your word. The words of truth, Lord, the words that transform us, that change us. God, we know that they are yours. So God, help us to remain true to what your word says. That no matter the flow or the the, the direction our culture is taking, Lord, that we would remain steadfast in your word. Help our lives to be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we study your word. Help us to be obedient, not just to listen and deceive ourselves, but to do what your word says. That you may receive all the honor and the glory, Lord, because you are good pray for those who may not know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they call upon your name, Jesus. We love you and we thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.